Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about pool planning. This is episode two with the help of special guest, Jack Miller of Jack Miller Contractors in Williamstown, Mass. Alongside Tim Fowler, I am your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hi, everyone. Tim Fowler here, and welcome to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. I just want to mention that uh, one of my major functions at Remodelers Advantage is to manage the production manager roundtables. Uh, You've heard various people on the podcast that are members of those groups, and we're starting another group. So uh, if you're interested in getting involved or you have an employee that you'd like to get involved, please let me know, Tim at RemodelersAdvantage.com. So again, I'm very excited about this episode. This is the second one that we're doing with Jack about pull planning, pull planning like I said before, is a staple in the commercial world. And what we're seeing is it's slowly becoming part of the thinking in the residential world. Now, in my conversations with Jack, uh, we're all willing to admit that one of the reasons that makes it work well in the commercial world is generally the projects are very big. And uh, he's already mentioned that in his company, They used to do fairly small projects, but right now they're a million and up. And so in his world, it becomes a little more, it's a little easier for him to follow what he would call the recipe for making this happen. The challenge for all the rest of us is don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't just go like, hey, we can't do this because we don't do million dollar projects. The challenge for all of us, and I think we're gonna talk about this a little bit today, is how do you take this concept, this recipe, as Jack calls it, and make it reality for a $100,000 kitchen, for a $200,000 addition, for all those kinds of projects where it may not be on the scale that uh, it works very easily. And so we're going to get into the details about how Jack and his team make this work. We're going to try to brainstorm some ideas between Steve and I and Jack about bringing it into that smaller uh, job site. We're going to talk about some of the challenges that are out there, and hopefully this will get us all thinking, okay? Uh, I want you all out there thinking about this. Give us some feedback. I would love to see this become part of how we do our scheduling. I think it would solve a lot of our challenges. So, Steve, let's just jump right into this second episode. Let's do it, Tim. So Jack Miller learned the trade from his father, a builder and remodeler in Northeast Ohio. Inspired to choose a life in the trades, Jack developed a keen interest in the building craft and applied building science. He started Jack Miller Contractors in 2007 with the vision of a team of highly skilled professionals working together to deliver exceptional (laughs) projects, a vision which has since come to fruition. And away from his company, Jack is a happily married father of six who also leads his parish buildings and grounds committee and is on the advisory committee to Charles H. McCann Technical School. Welcome back to the show, Jack. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Tim. It's good to be back. 
All right. So just in case somebody missed the first episode, give us a little bit more information about Jack Miller Contractors. Sure. We're located in Williamstown, Massachusetts, in the very northwest corner of the state. Perhaps what you would picture Southern Vermont to be like. We're as far from Boston as you can get and still be in Massachusetts. We're in uh, the home of Williams College. So we're sort of a classic New England, rural New England college town. And, And our work is in the high design, high performance residential world, we're building architect designed projects. Our current scale these days is a typical project might be a, a million dollars or more. But as you said, we started smaller. And, <laughs> and so we remember those days well. Yes, indeed. Okay. So pull planning is what we're talking about. Uh, you alluded in the other uh, episode about the way we typically have done it is push planning or push scheduling. And so maybe just for, again, for everybody's reference, give us kind of what's the difference in your mind between the push scheduling or planning and the pull scheduling and planning? Sure. So in in the manufacturing world, the difference is rather than each process trying to produce as much as they can, as fast as they can, and pushing it on to the next process in the line, you identify the process at the end, how much can they produce? When do they need the product? And then you schedule the previous process accordingly. So the same thing is what you're trying to do in pull planning, rather than just start from the beginning and sequentially add on as quickly as you can, you look at how can we smooth the production by planning in this case from in a pull plan from a milestone and work backwards to the start of that phase of work. Yeah, this came to me, I don't know if it was in a dream or it was just like aha moment, but I, I started thinking about scheduling and how we've all got an end date. You know, there's an end date for a job. And there's, and like you've said, there's an end date for a segment or a, a milestone. So why are we always talking about start dates? You know, it's like it doesn't make any sense at all right. for us to go like we have to be done on December 15th. But let's talk about when each phase is going to start versus when is each phase going to end. And if we hit those end dates and we've done a good job of scheduling, we will always hit that end date for the entire job. So that's kind of. I mean, I didn't, you know, go to, I, again, I don't know where it hit me or when it hit me, but it just made perfect sense. Stop looking at start dates specifically and start looking at end dates. And obviously you have to start to end, but uh, we're looking at the end dates. So cool. All right, good. So let's talk about Jack Miller contractors specifically, and let's try to get a, a picture for the audience. And now, Again, I think Jack could do a much better job of this if we had this on a visual, if he could, you know, we could, everybody could see it out there, but try to visualize what he's talking about as we go through. How does this work? Give us an example of how this works in a real practical way with your business, Jack. Sure. So I'm looking at the results of a pull plan and it's a whiteboard that's on a site and it is divided into weeks. The week, each week is a column on, on the board. The board's a four by eight sheet of melamine. And each week uh, is a column. 
And then there are a bunch of sticky notes. And, and the way this was created, it, it's essentially a, a messy looking Gantt chart where the work is sequentially planned to show each trade when they're on site, what they're doing, and the other trades on site so that the work flows smoothly from the beginning of this phase to that milestone. The way we created this was we got the folks who are, have significant scope during this phase of work, brought them on site. They wrote out on different colored stickies, each one, uh, each color unique to the different trades. They wrote out, for instance, the framer said ARK, that's the name of the framing company, three guys, four days, frame first floor. So they divided up into smaller chunks of uh, one week maximum. And then they placed this on site. It's really a Gantt chart. It's a physical version of a Gantt chart on this whiteboards, on, on these stickies. And so on, and that same week, we have DeSanti, that's the plumber. He's doing the, his under slab framing, and he can do that while the framer is going on. Uh, we have in another section of the project, the concrete being placed, the, the uh, garage and crawl space slabs being placed. We have uh, another slab happening in a different phase of the project. This is all within one week. And so it goes on each week in turn, what's going to happen that, that week so that the work can proceed smoothly. So I'm seeing on this that, um, that on like 10-4, ARC has two sticky notes. So why are there two sticky notes there instead of just one sticky note that says ARC will do basement exterior walls and uh, deck first floor? Why doesn't why isn't ARC just one sticky note that says it'll do two different things? Is there a reason? There is. It would especially be relevant when doing the basement exterior walls. This is this particular project has a walkout on one portion of the basement. And so those exterior walls would free up other scope that could happen while the deck first floor, the rest of the deck is, is happening. So we could pour the concrete slab in that area, for instance, okay. or uh, perhaps there would be a mechanical trade that could be happening in there. Okay. Now I noticed there's a lot of different colors and I, I in the last episode and in this one, I'm thinking like pull planning must be keeping 3M in business because- they're selling sticky notes like crazy all over the country. But uh, I, each trade contractor has their own color, right? Is that correct? That's right. And so you can easily, this, this lives on site. Everybody who walks on site can easily identify the work that they have committed to in, in this next phase of work, when it happens, how many guys they've committed, what, what they're supposed to be doing on any given week. And so the superintendent of this job is sort of the uh, the ma the uh, ringleader, if you will, the the ringmaster that, yeah, that that helps the trade. So, what happened? On, do you know with this project? Were there any things where they had to say, "But wait a minute, you know this this won't work because of this over here," and then we had to move a sticky note or something like that? I'm assuming that happens with any kind of process like this. It does. So. That on this project, we have a dropped floor. And so the plumbing 
the the uh, deck is hung off of the the foundation walls rather than the walls stacked on top of the deck like a traditional platform frame. So how do you get your wiring up in those first floor walls? Well, that was a problem that that came to light during a process like like a pull plan. It comes to light during a process like a pull plan. And so you can sort out, okay, between the deck and first floor walls going up, we need the electrician on site to manage that little piece of work. So part of the goal is for there to be more brains thinking about the process than just the superintendent, because if the superintendent isn't brilliant, there's a chance that they would miss that. And then rework would have to occur to make sure we got those conduits in that wall. Is that part of this thinking as well? That, that's absolutely right. Our superintendents are, are brilliant. Yes, I know even, that. Even, even they are only one person, right? Right. And so you have the respective experts for each trade making the plan. Okay, so let's, let's kind of imagine that maybe you're, you're a little smaller project and we can't really afford to get all of our trades on site. You know, they're, they're important person on site to do this, this board. Have you, have you thought about any ways that maybe this could be done uh, collaboratively, but not having everybody on site has, or has that happened with Jack Miller contracting? It has. In fact, the pull plan that we're talking about, the specific one, the first round of it happened with the framer offsite calling in because okay. he's based an hour and a half away. He's an owner operator. He's the, he has a couple of crews, but he's the foreman on one of the crews. And so it was really hard to get him on site for two or three hours while he's supposed to be leading work on another site. So he called in. Well, this illustrates what happened, illustrates the value of being on site because he showed up on site. He said it was going to take him three weeks, start to finish. He showed up on site and I happened to show up <laughs> just for a site walk that day. And I said, Vadim, this is going to only going to take three weeks. This is a big house. And he kind of got this sheepish look and he said, I was looking at the wrong plans. <laughs> oh, that doesn't happen if he's on site. He recognizes what what house he's looking at, what foundation he's looking at, right? So yeah. we're, we're trying to, to sort out how can we accommodate the reality of working with smaller operations, owner operators, people who might be at a distance and logistically very hard to get them together on a Tuesday morning to, to do a pull plan, how can we accommodate them while having our eyes on the trade-offs, right? And now we know, hey, Vadim, what plan are you looking at? Right? Yeah, yeah. So and I'm, we, I'm just sitting here thinking that part of the, part of the strategy is if, like if you were going to do something like this virtually with two or three different other trades offsite, um, then one of the strategies would be some kind of a checklist where you go down through and everybody checks off this, 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 and then, okay, we're all on the same page. We're all talking about the same project. We're all talking about, you know, those, those kinds of things. So you mentioned in the first uh, episode that maybe this kind of thing would work with the design side of, of the, the business. And this is a classic problem for us. We think 
production has problems hitting schedules, but I keep hearing from production people that I'm getting jobs three weeks later than I was supposed to, but I still have to finish on a certain date because that's a contractual date. Are you, have you done anything with this where your design side actually follows some kind of a pull plan? We have, and it came out of recognizing that exactly what you're talking about. We have the same problem, perhaps even worse in pre-construction for us. We're, we're not the designers, but we have a pre-construction process where we participate with the designers and the owners during design. And so just yesterday we had, this one was online and we did a, a Gantt chart that I shared my screen and we, uh, set up the schedule and each person's responsibilities and, and deliverables for the entire development of the project. The clients were ecstatic that someone was thinking, thinking this way. And even though I warned them that the schedule is likely to change, at least we have a visible schedule. In this case, it's on Google Sheets. Everybody can see it. I don't think that's ideal in the actual construction, it's a powerful thing to have a physical schedule on site rather than on a screen. Uh, but but it, we think it's going to work, and we're we're trying to make it happen in development as well as in construction. So this this uh, pull plan that we're looking at, that the three of us are looking at, unfortunately, our audience can't can't see it. But what happens if you? if you get these people on site and your superintendent has said the milestone that we have to hit is ready for drywall by let's say December 1st, and you've got, you're doing the pull plan to get to that. Your plumber, your electrician, framers, everybody has said, I need these days, these days. What happens if, all of that collaborative thought says we can't be done till December 7. Yeah, good you know, question. Our milestone says December 1st. Good, good question. The first thing is when you have all those folks on site, there's so much creativity that can happen that you can often fix a problem that seemed unsolvable previously or might have been unsolvable from the superintendent's perspective that you have all those folks there, they can solve that problem and actually hit that milestone. But in the case that it doesn't, now you have the brain power of all these people who are respective experts in their fields or experts in their respective fields. And, and who else do you want to solve that problem than them, right? So let's, uh, how can we make it up at that next milestone and get back on track? That's the brain power you want in the room. So I'm, I'm, it's all, it's all coming together for me, Jack. It's all kind of making sense. <laughs> so, um, because I'm imagining this meeting where, you know, as many people are oftentimes naturally genial to each other, uh, and, and where they say, Hey, well, we could just do this. You know, if you're running into roadblocks, they're working it out, things like that. So people make promises again. So the, the stamp of the promise is done in just your word <laughs> or is that where's that kind of say we will you know hit this milestone uh at that time when they're working yeah. it out y your promise is what you wrote down on your sticky 
and yeah. where you placed it on the board. Okay. So the superintendent doesn't do that for you. It doesn't didn't happen ideally. It didn't happen virtually on a screen that you're looking at. You wrote it down and you put it on the board and you said, I'll get it done by this time. And there's a great thing that happens when you actually hit it. An, another project, the uh, superintendent was telling me there was a, a phase of excavation that was going to happen. And the excavator finished. And at the end of the day, he walked in and he put his finger on the board and he said, I told you I could do it. And that's great. Right? <laughs> so that's awesome. And then, you know, we've had a previous podcast about constraint management and I see all the way on the right, you have the constraints. And what is that column? Yeah. So as you're doing the pull plan, the, the, you're recognizing that all these promises are conditional. So the electrician is saying, I can do my first floor rough-ins if you, Mr. Plumber, are complete, right? And the plumber is saying, I can do my first floor rough-ins prior to that if the HVAC duct runs are done and, and so on. So each one is conditional. So you're identifying those things as you do this pull plan and then logging the constraints so that you don't get to the week of October 11th and recognize, hey, we don't have a decision on you know, where this cold air return is supposed to go. And the HVAC guys are here to run all their ductwork. We needed that on the constraint list so that that constraint could be lifted prior to them arriving on site. Hi, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've likely heard me refer to our production manager roundtables. Many of the people that have been on the show have been members of this program, and oftentimes they're some of our most popular guests. If you're not familiar with it, a few years back, we took the roundtables concept that has been so popular with Remodelers Advantage members and started groups specifically for production managers. Very similar format to what the owners are doing, but focused on production issues and really diving into best practices among some of the best remodeling companies out there. We meet twice a year for two days at each meeting, collect and discuss performance metrics for each company, and we support each other throughout the year with microboards, smaller groups of your peers who meet monthly via Zoom to discuss issues and ask for input. So whether you're a business owner looking to improve your production team or a production manager that needs help taking your department to the next level, we have a spot for you if you're interested. If you're interested in learning more, email me at tim at remodelersadvantage.com and I'll tell you more about it. So, Jack, your experience with this, you told us in the first episode that you had somebody come in and, and do the training. Uh, you've got some other resources that you're using, various places. But what are some of the challenges that other companies are going to face or that you faced in terms of actually making this a reality, or should we say a 60% reality for Jack Miller contractors? Because I think you'd say you're still, you're still developing it for what, for what you guys do. Is that right? That's right. And what we've recognized is one challenge for us, we walked away from that first pull planning session, that, that training and day we did the first full pull plan. Everybody was excited. It was a great collaborative day. 
and and we didn't realize that the hard work really lay ahead. Right. That the schedule would somehow be busted, and we would have to figure out, okay, now what do we do collaboratively to fix the problem? So that that's one thing is what do you do when it breaks? Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. A- another challenge is it's really a mind shift. So in the residential world, in, in the commercial world, it's pretty common for the trade superintendents or trade foremen to be asked to plan in this kind of way. It's less common in the residential world. And so there's some training and a mind shift that needs to go on. Uh, The challenge is selling it to everybody that, that this, the idea is to make your work easier. So your work is struggle-free. You make more money. We all have a more enjoyable time, have a fun time working together. Uh, And, and then the, the challenges, as we, we said before, getting small shop owner operators on site for a planning meeting ahead that that can be difficult and and then the challenge at, in any sector is when the thing breaks down it's easy for the superintendent or the project manager depending on how you're running your job to fall yeah. back to an old push style and and solve the problem on their computer screen rather than with the folks who are actually doing the work yeah, I think one of the things that's made many project managers successful is their ability to see a problem and, for lack of a better term, forcefully correct it. In other words, they seize the problem, they fix it, everybody comes out of it, or at least they come out of it going like, I'm the hero. And so that's a natural tendency to fall back to. Can you give us some idea about how you may have helped your superintendents not go that direction. How, how did you help them with the mind shift? Continually repeating, where's your pull plan? How's your pull plan? Have, have you talked to them? What's, what's your, um, have you made contact with them? They're due, due next week. Just for all of us, um, and, and this isn't just me, but for, for all of our superintendents, constantly make this something that's visible, that's talked about, that it's a theme, a consistent theme for all of us. That That's how we're, we're gaining ground. All right. So the you, real talked experts about, on this. you talked about the excavator that comes in and says, I told you I could do that. And we tend to focus on what would do, what happens when it doesn't work. Give us, if you can, a, a story or two about positive reinforcement. In other words, you were up against the challenge. Uh, the team hit, you know, the challenge, and then everybody goes, "Woohoo! We we won!" Is is there anything like that where we can look at it and go, like, "Hey, uh, this is a positive reinforcement"? Yeah. So I think that maybe counterintuitively, some of the biggest wins are when you recognize the problems. Recently, on another project, the painter came in and was reorienting all of their sticky notes because they said, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know my scope very well. I need to fix this. And so that's a huge win because next time he knows he needs to know his scope and he's identified it now ahead of time instead of under the old system, instead of him taking three weeks, it would just take 
six weeks and no one knew why no one knew right. that it was going to happen. Well, now we know that it's going to happen. And so the winds, yes, you get winds like, like our excavator coming in and nailing it and, and us hitting, hitting the milestone and everybody celebrates. You can do all kinds of stuff around games uh, related to this. Uh, but the, the, in some ways, the longer term wins are what are the things that we need to keep our eye on so that we can continually improve this pillar of, of lean thinking? How can we continually get better? This is not something that you're going to get a seminar on or watch a YouTube video on and do a pull plan and you got it. It's like learning to play golf, right? <laughs> you're, you don't start to play golf and tomorrow have mastery. This is a long process. We started this a couple of years ago. Uh, we might be getting out of kindergarten. <laughs> it is a long process. Yeah. I was just going to ask, like, I, I know you mentioned that in the notes that we shared, you know, before the, the podcast, but um, seriously, I, I know let's, let's forget a hundred percent mastery. Let's just say, we got it working 80%. How long do you think it will take a company to get to that point if they're working at it like you guys are? I think if you are consistent about doing a pull plan for every phase of work, you, you can gain significant, you can gain significantly every milestone. Right. Because you're building on the prior milestone. Now, the thing is, you're every time you're going to realize, oh, this broke down in this way. So you're going to recognize that failure, but that every failure is an opportunity to improve the process going forward. So I, I think you can improve immediately, see significant improvement, uh, but then you're going to settle in for a long process of continuing to improve. Okay. So let's just, let's just talk about the hard work, so to speak. We talked in the first... Um, episode about the five conversations that have to take place as it relates to pull planning. And let's kind of, if we can, let's go back to those five and maybe relate them specifically to a job so that we can have uh, sort of a, a realistic idea of what they mean for a project. Can you do that for us? Sure. So, they, we think there, or this is, this comes from the Lean Construction Institute. That there, the pull plan is only the first of five collaborative conversations among the among the folks who are leading the, and doing the work on site. So that that's number one. That's a collaborative, cooperative pull plan. Uh, then you're doing a two or three week look ahead, depending on your structure. Again, this is collaborative. This is this might be the superintendent texting a photo of the pull plan to the folks who are who are uh, coming up in the next two weeks saying, are you still on track? Is it, are we still good? Then the third conversation is a weekly look ahead. Each of these are increasing in detail. As you get closer, you're working on a, a smaller time frame. So Friday afternoon, all right, you have three days of scope next week. What exact days are you going to be here? And you're uh, roughing in the, the, uh, plumbing supplies or, or say the, the waste piping, where are you going to start so that we can work other, the other uh, trades around you? And then every day there's a conversation. Are you on track? What constraints are there that haven't been lifted? What, con what conflicts are there? And then the fifth conversation, which is really critical, 
is the debrief, a regular debrief, so that you are learning, continually learning, and so that you can say, okay, uh, I was supposed to have this done this week. It's not going to be done till next week. What do we do? And that debrief is part of how do we solve the problem and, and modify our pull plan. Yeah, I think one of the big things that people miss with any scheduling is looking at a missed commitment or a missed deadline and asking, what do we do about it? I think a lot of people just go like, well, I guess we're going to be two days late, you know, and and then they just give up. So I think that's a huge thing. But something just hit me, you know, and I'm glad we're doing two episodes on this because it's taking, you know, all this conversation to finally sink into my thick head and maybe everybody else's too. I'd like to think I'm not thicker than everybody else. But it just dawned on me that when you do these sticky notes, um, like ARC will put a sticky note on October 11 week, but it'll only say three days, but it doesn't say which three days. It only so, so I'm sitting here going like, how in the world can you have a good schedule if you don't know which three days until three weeks ahead. You know, I mean, again, I'm thinking from a traditional standpoint, I'm thinking like I have to know which three days so I can immediately schedule the next guy to come in after them. How, how does that work with this poll planning? Yeah, so the, the reason you're only doing it in the week and you're not doing days is it's just too granular for, for uh, working that far out. Okay. So, yeah, you can set up your day-by-day schedule of everything that's going to happen sequentially, all the um, prerequisites and, and the sequence, and it's just not going to flow that way. You're going to have weather. You're going to have material delays. Um, somebody's going to call in sick. COVID's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, whatever whatever it is. And so the um, you're going from... You have your start date, your end date contractually. You break that up into milestones. And then the milestones, you break up into weeks. And then as you get closer to that, you're growing in detail. And it's really the weekly work plan and then the daily huddle where you're getting very granular. This morning, I'm going to work on this and be finished by noon with this phase of work. And then I'm going to move to the next, next phase of work. So you're in effect, you're building in some float time, some uh, additional time, which then therefore makes the schedule much, much more realistic. You're building in, yes, some allowing some variability in. So in, in the week, in the example you, you gave, the framer has a three-day scope, but they also have another uh, two-day scope, but we don't know which sequence that is. So we're allowing some variability about how it can actually happen. Rather, we're not buffering time um, and, and adding adding slop to the schedule, but we're allowing real-world variability of, is this going to be Tuesday to Thursday or Wednesday to Friday? How How is this actually going to work? So I had another question as you were talking about the five the five conversations, the two to three week look ahead. Is that a a magic number? Or I've been working with people recently and just for time frame for anybody listening to this podcast a year or two down the line, 
we're talking about the COVID crisis and material shortages and longer lead times on materials. Are you seeing any necessity to say, you know, this is, has to be longer than two or three weeks? I, I guess that's, that's the question. We are. The, the answer is yes. And we're having to conversations that had to happen a few years ago at the two or three week timeline for materials now need to happen at the pull plan. So maybe six to eight weeks ahead of time and perhaps even farther, right? As we see windows and cabinets go out to four or five months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so certainly that's something we're learning. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, a, I think, a lesson learned for everybody. I've gotten to where now, you know, people go like, oh, COVID, COVID. And I go, look, look, it's been around for a year now, at least this problem that we have. So we have to be adjusting. We have to start thinking further ahead now because we know uh, it's an issue. So, Jack, as we're thinking about this and I, we're going to have to wrap up here in just a few more minutes, but I want you to kind of give us what do you think the plan would be? Let me just say, let's just say I'm a remodeler and I, um, I'm doing about $3 million a year. I'm intrigued by this idea of the pull planning. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing like, mm, so I, I feel like some of it will work. Some of it may not work as well, but I think it's worth pursuing. How, what kind of advice would you give me to kind of get this ball rolling and then, and maybe even not just rolling, but then what might be my next step after that and my next step after that? Yeah, so I would start by finding some uh, videos on YouTube, watch a few of them, watch one in, in actually a pull plan happening as well as uh, some seminar kind of videos on YouTube. Download the last planner production system from the Lean Construction Institute, read that, and then find a, a milestone or a phase of work on a project that's, that's not too complex. Maybe you have uh, three or four trades, maybe two, two or three even trades in that phase of work, ideally uh, with trades that you work with a lot. And so you know how to, you, you already have a good relationship with them and try it together, right? Just, just, just try it. Do, do the board, do the sticky notes, try it together. And then at the end of that, write down what you've learned, things you need to have your eye on next time, and then start this process of two or three week look ahead, a rolling two or three week look ahead, whatever um, kind of planning sequence you have where you're checking in with those folks on, a, on a, um, at increasing frequency as you get closer to, to the work and, and just get started, right? You just um, engage some people that, that are valuable team members with your trade partners and just get started. It's, it's, it's not, it really, the reality is it's not that complicated. It's just a long learning process. And then it's, I suppose part of this is uh, making, do, you know, documenting what works and what doesn't work and then finding solutions for the challenges that are there and just continuing the process of, of, of making it work. That's right. 
That's right. And, and you'll find things like, okay, we, we can't get everybody on site. Well, how can we, we know there's a trade-off with them not being on site. How can we uh, do the best we can with the reality of the situation to get people working collaboratively together? Sometimes it's the reality of this situation might be on a small bathroom that the, the project manager or the superintendent is going to have to call people sequentially. Well, get their input, right? Right. Uh, but if you can get everyone, even on a conference call to say, all right, I have this and then you have that and, and our work, see, we want to sequence it in this way, engage the people doing the work on site. And this is really... Um, a way for the company to grow and every individual to grow in their ability to do their own scheduling, to have better work, to uh, make more money, be more profitable, make their work more fun. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I got to listen to this thing a couple of times to kind of get every little bit out of it. But like I said, a few minutes ago, the more I talk about it, the more it's starting to make sense. And it starts to formulate in my head uh, just a, a great way of, of doing scheduling. And as I suggested in sort of the opening comments that I've had, I really, really hope that this starts a dialogue within the residential community, residential remodeling community to talk about how can we make this happen? What are, what are the best practices? And again, Maybe more so for those smaller companies that you know aren't doing million dollar projects but are doing two hundred thousand three hundred thousand dollar projects and how how do we make this work because it's been proven in commercial to work very effectively. Jack, you're seeing results in your in your work, and so it's gotta work even at a smaller level with some modification yeah, that's right, and I think as I said before just just start. Read everything you can about it and settle in for, for a long learning. But uh, this is fun, fun stuff. And what yeah, are we going to do? Cool. Stick with the old problem, right? <laughs> well, you know, I did, I, did, uh, I did see in your notes here, and if you don't mind me reading it, this is Jack's uh, little last little bit of nugget. And it says, let's stop poking ourselves in the eye with the same sharp stick. Just start, read everything you can, and expect it to take several years to gain mastery. Don't chase tech tools. And I just had to read that because I loved that expression because isn't that what we do with scheduling? I got to find a better scheduling program. I have to find a better, I have to find a better, I have to find a better. And what you're telling us is learn this system and if you want to put it into a tech form, maybe that's okay. But like you've said so many times, it's better that everybody can see it on site. That's right. That's right. Jack, are, thank uh, you so much for taking the time to do both these episodes. I think they're going to be game changers for the industry in many different ways. And for everybody out there, I encourage you to give us some feedback and let us know what you're, you're seeing as well. So thanks so much, Jack. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Steve. This was fun. Awesome. Take care. So Tim, uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Yeah, I am. Uh, you know, this is incredibly awesome. Like I said, on the last podcast, it's always good to see somebody uh, doing something different to fix a common problem. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of different things in here. 
uh, learning the difference between push and pull, uh, the pull planning, starting with end dates, milestones of segments. I suppose if a project's only eight weeks long, the end date could be the milestone that you're trying to hit with the you know, 68-week planning, but we have to work out some of those details. I really like this idea that this naturally puts a little bit of what I'm going to call float time into the schedule, making it much more realistic. And I didn't quite catch that till in this second go round when, when Jack was showing us that board uh, on the visual. Um, the three-week look-aheads obviously have to be extended to make it a little bit, uh, uh, you know, fit the times that we're in uh, as we go in. The hard work is after the schedule's built. How do you make sure that we stay with that? That's true across the board with any schedule, but I think uh, more so here. And then I really did like his last little thing there, like, what do you do? And I was just getting, I was getting within a fraction of a second of saying, would you videotape your next poll planning so we could see it? <laughs> but apparently some other people have done that on YouTube and, yep. you know, go there. It's amazing what's on YouTube. Go there, watch some of that, download that last planner production system, and then, uh, you know, start thinking, get your team together to think about like, how would this benefit us? How can we make it work? Where should we start? What jobs should we try it out on? You know, pull your team. This would be a great production meeting, right? To have to say, we want to think about this. How, how could we make this work uh, for us as a company? But again, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to these things again, because you're not going to get it all in one, one shot. There's just no, no way. No. All right. Well, this was awesome. Uh, we want to thank Jack Miller for joining us today. We want to thank you for listening for, to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. And remember, as this shows, we are not content with <laughs> it is what it is. And we'd like everybody to knock it out of their vocabulary. So please never say it again. Say something like we make it what we want it instead of it is what it is. Thank you, folks. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast-track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.